0: Today is a special day in the life of the body of Christ. All over the world today, people are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. and We want to do the same thing here. And so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in verses 36 through 49. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in front of you there, in the pew rack in front of you. Please feel free to take that one you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. It can be yours. Uh, but if you do have one, you could just use it this morning. Luke 24, verse 36 through 49, like I said, is where we'll be. While we do celebrate today the resurrection of Jesus, we definitely think about his life, his whole life, and even this past, past week, last Sunday, looking at the triumphal entry. Jesus had been doing ministry for like three years at this point, And he comes into town being hailed as king, as Lord, as a savior. Or if you were here on Friday, we had a good Friday service. On Friday, we celebrated the cross, which sounds almost foolish to say, doesn't it? Celebrating a cross, a crucifixion, a death. But we gathered together as a church family to celebrate what that death means and how necessary that death was. Because of sin, death had to happen. And we'll look at that a little bit. More this morning as well. We've we've sung about it. We just sang it, one of the great old hymns, the Old Rugged Cross. But I want to look at the resurrection and focus on that. It's already been read this morning, but look at the account in verse 36 of Luke 24. It says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. A fascinating account here of Jesus' resurrection when he's with the disciples. He appears to the disciples, and it's, they say that they're troubled, that there's doubts in seeing him, even if they saw a spirit. And again, it's so easy for us today. And our kind of pompous attitude to look at the disciples and say, how, how ignorant are these guys? I mean, really? He told them for so long this was going to happen. It happened. Now he's standing before them and they still do not believe. But I dare say, if you had a friend, if you had a friend who constantly was telling you, hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. What would you think of that friend? You wouldn't think much of them, probably. I would wonder why they're your friend. Really? But then if it happened, you'd be shocked. I mean, you'd be amazed. This is the situation they find themselves in. Just in total shock and in awe of the resurrection. And I want us to look this morning at why is this important? Why, why does the Bible tell us that the resurrection is, is so important for us? And what is the ramifications of it? Because as I said on Friday, Christianity and the whole reason why we're here worshiping God, we're, we're worshiping Jesus together, all of it could be dismantled. All of it could be put aside. We could all look like fools if simply enough, somebody could show us a body and say, this is Jesus. He never rose. It never happened. He's dead. This is him. If there was definitive proof, it would prove all of us wrong. Everything we're doing is for naught. So what does the Bible say about the resurrection? What has Jesus done in the resurrection? And so what I want us to really look at is what Jesus talks about kind of at the end of what we read when he when he's talking to his disciples and he says, I told you, everything from the law had to be fulfilled. Everything had to be done. And he's kind of declaring to him here, it's happened. I have done this. I have fulfilled it all in his resurrection. And so in his resurrection, what Jesus has done is he has, he has sealed something that the Bible calls a, a new covenant. And promises that have been given to us. And again, it's been sealed by his blood, and then it's been proven through his resurrection. And that's why his resurrection is so important. Now you might ask, and this would be a fair question, what do you mean by new covenant? What, is this, what does this mean? What are you talking about, Pastor Tim? Well, in Matthew chapter 26, in verse 26 through 29, you might remember this account, but Jesus is with his disciples on the, on the last day, and he's in the upper room, and they're having dinner together, they're having a Passover meal together, And he's eating with them. Again, another meal is taking place. Like we had just read in Luke, a meal was taking place. And this is what he says to them. He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, Jesus there is talking about a covenant that he is sealing there with his blood. This isn't the only place that it's talked about. It's not not just a New Testament thing, this whole idea of a a new covenant. It actually is all throughout the Old Testament as well, which is why we hold the word of God so sacred and true, believing it all to be true. We don't just try to stay in the New Testament, but we think the Old Testament is very important also. But in Jeremiah 31, and I'm going to read some scripture here at the beginning of the sermon and try to get through it. It should be on the screen for you, too, to follow along. It says in Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. It's not just there, but also in Ezekiel. You guys can put that on the screen. I don't think I'm going to read it this morning, but Ezekiel 36 talks about this too about getting a new heart, a clean heart. Well, what is this new covenant compared to? Well, I guess this we can talk about it. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie. It's on, it's on TV this time of year. It was, I think, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, the Moses movie, the Ten Commandments movie. Have you, have you seen that before? No? Dating myself? It's on for about five hours. <laughs> it's really long. But it's talking about that movie is talking about what we would call the Old Covenant. That's what's being played out there. That's the story that we are seeing. A promise that God takes Israel, removes them from slavery from Egypt, but then he takes Moses, who is their redeemer, who brings him out, takes him up to a mountain, and gives him the law, and says, tell the people this covenant that I am making with them today. Here is the law. I will be their God. They will be my people. And he says, they need to obey me. Obey this law. This is the covenant that is made. This is that first covenant that is being talked about, or the the old covenant. There was another one with Abraham and some others as well. This is the covenant being referenced here. It's talking about. And so what Jesus is saying, he says, I came to fulfill all all of this law. All the scripture that is talked about, the old and the new. I came for all of it. And Jesus declared this very early in his ministry when talking to people. Because he says in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. Jesus is saying, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this old covenant was bad, I'm actually coming and fulfilling it. What you guys try to do, I'm going to do. I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to fulfill it. And so in order for Jesus to do this, as he's talking to the disciples, as he's telling us to Pharisees, as he's telling us to people around him, as he's in the upper room with his disciples, saying this is the blood of the new covenant, all of, this, all of these different things have to happen in order for there to be a new covenant some of it I want to speak about because it's very important. First, what has to happen is there has to be sinless perfection in order for that old covenant to be fulfilled. The way that the Bible would talk about it when it comes to like sacrifices and stuff is there needs to be a spotless lamb. That's why so often we hear Jesus talked about as the spotless lamb. He's perfect. He, he, he lived his life perfect. Every single thing, if you read those books in the Old Testament that give the law, that talk about the law, Jesus accomplishes all of them. Never fell short of one of them. Ever in his life. And so he actually was the sinless, spotless lamb. But again, in order to fulfill the law, the lamb has to die. That's what it said in the law. The lamb has to be killed. It has to be done for the forgiveness of sins. And we talked about this on Friday, on Good Friday. So in Hebrews chapter 9. Verses 11 through 15, it talks about the need for death in order for a new covenant to come. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You see, under the covenant that God had given to Moses, the only way for you to be forgiven was for death. But God established a way that you didn't have to die, that the people didn't have to die. A sacrifice would die. A lamb would take their place. And so every year, these people would trust in the blood of that lamb to forgive them of their sins. But yet yet again, the next year, they'd have to go again and again and again. And what Jesus did in fulfilling all of Scripture and what Hebrews is telling us here is Jesus died once and it's good enough for all forever. He doesn't have to keep coming every year and be sacrificed again. We don't see that. It doesn't play out that way. Why? Because it was enough the one time. Because he was perfect. And so we have death. We see Jesus doing that. Again, sinless perfection. Death takes place. But again, I'm here to tell you this morning, if Jesus was still dead, what we're doing here is a waste of time. We should be fishing, golfing, doing something else, because we're wasting our time here if Jesus is still dead. But he's not. But he's not. And that is why we come this morning. That is why we come each Sunday. That is why we believe what we believe. The Bible tells us that he resurrected, and in Hebrews, it talks about this again. Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus, he holds his priestly priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is Jesus. Jesus lives forever. He is the one that we go to to have a proper relationship with God the Father. And he's the only one that can do it. And what is so great is that as a generation passes, you do not have to be introduced to a new man to do that through. It's always Jesus. So for some of you, you come here this morning, and I'm not trying to ridicule you. Please don't take it this way. But I'm not Roy Sutherland. Last time you were in this building, you saw Roy Sutherland. You know what's wrong with Roy Sutherland? He's old now. He's old. And so he retired like old people do. And so somebody else stepped in, and that happened to be me. But the good news is this. Roy Sutherland is not your intercessor. He's not your mediator. And what's even better news than the fact that he isn't? I'm not either. That's not my job. Roy Sutherland preached to you, Jesus. And my job is to preach to you, Jesus. And whoever comes after me, guess what they should preach? Jesus. Again and again and again and again. And you know why that is? It's because Jesus is the one who rose from the dead. And the Bible tells us lives forever, forever And because of his resurrection, it tells us that right now he sits at the right hand of the father. And what he does is he tells the father, that one is mine. By grace through faith, that one has trusted in me and is mine and is mine. And each and every day, that one is mine. And when you sin and fall short, guess what Jesus is still saying? Still mine, father. Still mine. And the only reason Jesus can do that is because he is alive and well and does that for us if he had to keep dying for us he would not be the perfect savior he would not have fulfilled the law and so we see the bible speaking to us this truth of a new covenant on friday we talked about isaiah chapter 53 and isaiah 53 it's a very famous chapter but it talks about a suffering servant that is to come that we know is is jesus and isaiah 25 which i want to look at this morning It speaks of a victorious savior who's gonna prepare a meal for his people and who's gonna give his people rest. And we know that this is true because again, Jesus lives. And it's interesting how we keep talking about meals. Remember with his disciples, they don't believe him there. in Luke, what does he say? Give me something to eat. Give me something to eat. When he talks about the new covenant, what are they doing? They're eating a meal together. Well, we're gonna go to another meal. Isaiah 25, verse six through 12. It should be on the screen for you there. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab shall be trampled down in his place. as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim, but the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls. He will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground to the dust. It's a beautiful picture we have here in verse six of Isaiah 25. We see that the Lord prepares a meal for all of his people. And on that day, it says this meal will be a reality. Why? Because of the new covenant. This meal is taking place in the new heavens and in the, in the new earth it's a meal that we often talk about as Christians. It's a meal that we look forward to. It's a meal that Jesus was talking about when he says, I will not do this again until I'm with you. Paradise, right? We'll have this meal again. It's a, it's a day that we, that we cherish and we, and we hope for. And it's an interesting passage because it can be compared to what happened when the first covenant took place. Because I don't know if you know this. But when the first covenant took place with Moses, do you know a meal happened after? A meal took place after. Pastor Scott actually preached about this, I think, around Christmas time. This will be the last section of verses I want to I'll read for you. But in Exodus 24, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 9 through 11, listen to what happened. So God has given Moses the law. He's given it to the people. All this stuff has happened. And then listen to what God says. He says, then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. And then notice this. They beheld God, and ate and drank. God confirmed a covenant with his people, even with Moses and the elders there, with a meal. God sat with them and ate. It says they beheld God and they ate. There's something interesting about this passage. Not everybody was allowed to go to this meal. Only representatives. Only a few people. God says all the people of Israel, they need to get away. Don't let them come close. Even you guys aren't going to come too close. But just bring them up here, beheld them and I will eat with them. And you have to think all the other people are wondering what in the world is going on up there on that mountain. And why can't I be a part of it? What is happening? When do I get to see God? When can I be a part of this meal? What's so beautiful about the meal in Isaiah 25, the meal that is talked about in Revelation. It's a meal where all are invited. Because of Christ, because of the new covenant, those who are found in Christ, all are invited to the meal. It's not just... Hey, you guys who are pastors, you come as a representative. You guys can eat with Jesus. The rest of you, kid tables outside. Which some of you will do today to your poor kids. It's not a meal like that. It's a meal where all of us get to be at the table. And there's something even better because in verses 7-8, through 8, it tells us that at this meal, the Lord will come around and will wipe away the tears from all of his people. And not just wipe away their tears. But will remove all the reproach. And the shame that they feel. All the, all the stuff that they've been through in this world. Because of their faith. All the ridicule. It's all going to be gone. And God is going to do this to each of his own. Picture it this way. It reminds me of Jesus. You remember in the upper room. He's got his disciples there. He's about to go, go and die. One of them is about to go and turn him in. And instead of just sitting there talking to him. You remember he takes a basin of water, and he takes a towel and he goes to each individual person and he wipes their feet. He cleans their feet. Even Judas takes his feet and he washes his feet. And you remember Peter being brash as he always is. No, 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 don't touch me. Don't touch my feet, Lord. And Jesus says, Peter, you have to have this done. And so then Peter's like, well, they're not just my feet, do everything, right? Do it all. He's like, oh, whoa, 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 no, I don't need to do that but how intimate of a moment that was of the Lord going to each disciple and caring for them. That's the picture we have here at this dinner. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings is if you're a Christian this morning is going to come to you at that dinner and wipe your tears away and remove your reproach. And he's going to show great care for you. And it's, it's not, Hey, go sit outside. It's no, come sit with me at my table. This is, The picture that's being given to us in Isaiah and then again in Revelation. We see here in Isaiah 9 through 10a that people worship him with gladness. Because this is a day that they have waited for for so long. They've been waiting for this day to eat with their king. And so there's great praise and and great worship. And this is the promise we have because of the resurrection. Jesus tells us that not just he's going to resurrect, but those found in him have resurrection as well. We've been promised that resurrection. And so we get to be with our Lord in eternity with peace and joy that is everlasting. Now, I know there's young people in here and I want you to listen to me because when I used to sit where you sit and listen to sermons like this about heaven, where we're gonna be sitting around and eating and just worshiping God all the time, I used to think, count me out. That sounds so boring. I can't stand the thought of that. What I've come to realize as I've gotten older, and what you're going to realize as you get older, is this world with all the fun that it has, and it's got a lot of it. It's a lot of exciting things. This world is so difficult. It is so hard. And no matter how much you strive, no matter how much you try, in your life, and I'm guessing all of us can almost attest to this, You will feel unsatisfied in this world always. There's always this longing for something more. You achieve what you wanted to achieve, and it's just not enough. You get married, you have kids, you have the life you always hoped you'd have. But then you look around and you think, Facebook tells me they have it better. I feel like they get it. I just don't seem to get it. And life becomes this weight, it becomes this struggle, it becomes this burden and don't get me wrong, there's so many good things in life. We have so many good days. There's so many joys. But I think all of you understand what I'm saying this morning. You feel this way. Just unsatisfied with your life. Time went too fast. Your kids grew up just too fast. And maybe I just didn't do enough. Maybe I messed them up. Maybe I did this. And now I have grandkids. And they're growing up fast. And I don't spend enough time with them. Me and my wife could have a better relationship. Has anybody thought this before? Or is it just me? This is what's so joyous about this dinner. At this dinner. All of that goes away. I don't feel unsatisfied anymore. The Bible tells me that forever and ever and ever, for eternity, I will be with Jesus, who will be my complete satisfaction. There's no more keeping up with the neighbors down the street. There's no more Pastor Tim Tim trying to live up to what a pastor should be for his people to like him. Now what it is, is resting permanently at the feet of my Savior, who did everything for me. So that I have complete joy, complete happiness, complete peace, complete satisfaction, complete comfort forever. This is the promise we have been given because of Jesus' resurrection. Because of this day that we celebrate, we have been given a promise that for those in Christ, this is a reality that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ doesn't just give us something we wait for. Even though we long for that day, it gives us victory today. Because we know that it's going to be. We know that is the promise that waits for us. But in Isaiah, it didn't just talk about the Israelites enjoying this, did it? It talked about the Moabites at the end. And it talks about trampling them down. And again, this is the reality for those in Christ is this banquet and this dinner. But for those who are not in Christ, the reality is the dinner is not yours. And you're then reflected in the Moabites here. And the Moabites are people who are not part of this dinner, and there's two really drastic reasons. Number one is their pride. Verse 11, he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as swimmer spreads his hands out to swim, but the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skills of his hands. The pride of the Moabites wouldn't let them be a part of this dinner. And the Lord crushes this. You see this this crushing sin of all mankind. And we struggle with that, don't we? Pride gets in the way from us and trusting in Christ and living our life for Christ. We just can't seem to get past this pride that is inside of us, inside our hearts. And today, many of us, Many people will never trust in Jesus. Why? Simply because of pride. Say phrases in your head like, I just don't need any help to be good. I'm pretty good. I don't need the crutch of religion. I don't need some church to help me have a relationship with God. It's something that I can do on my own. We think in our heads, I'm doing pretty good for myself. I'm making it in this world. Look at me can some man from 2,000 years ago really do for me? What can he accomplish for me? The pride of our hearts gets in the way, just like the Moabites here. But then also we see another problem with the Moabites, not just pride, but it says, together with the skills of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls, he will bring down and lay low and cast to the ground to the dust. You see, the Moabites had another problem. They had faith in their own skill. They had faith in their own abilities they could build these strong fortified cities for protection they could have vast armies with great skill that could protect the people and in the end these are the things that would ruin them because this is where they put all their hope and the things that they could do and the things that they could build today many of us still live this way we believe our hands can hold us up through anything If I just have enough gumption, I can get off the ground again. We think we're like that boxer. Just use the ropes, pull yourself up, get up again. We see ourselves like this. I can do it. Or maybe this morning what you trust in for your safety and protection is the food supply you've stored in your basement. Or the money that you've saved up in an account. Or maybe it's how many rounds of ammo you have. I hear that often. I bought some this weekend, so I'm not ridiculing you. I'm just saying. We put our trust in these things. We put our trust in the fact that we have a place to go and we can go hide. We have friends and we have family that we can run to if we're ever hurting or in need. We've set up this reputation in our life that took us years and years and years to build up. And we have this social structure of people that we rely on. And that gives us a sense of security in our life. And so these then are the things that we put our trust and we put our hope in. The question gets asked to you, what happens if all things get messed up? What happens if this world just goes astray and war does happen in our land and all this stuff happens? What are you trusting in? And we might then go to these things. I got enough food to last me for three years. I've figured out a place, and it's in the woods. I'm not telling you where it's at, but that's where we're going. Well, I got friends and family who are going to try. I can trust in and do this and that. And this is this is where we put our hope. This is where we put our peace. But it's interesting because all these, according to what Isaiah says of the Moabites, what happens? God lays them to dust. That stuff doesn't mean anything. It doesn't give any true hope. No true satisfaction. There's nothing there. But yet the Moabites, the sad Moabites, even in their destruction, what do they do? What does it say? It says they spread out their hands like a swimmer and try to swim to safety, even in the midst of destruction. Some of you are living like that right now. You know the things that I'm saying, and you know it to be true. You know Jesus is real. You really do. If I were to ask you, you believe in God yet? Yeah, you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in these things. But you don't live that way at all. <clears throat> You're like that swimmer. You're going down and you're struggling, but you think I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And I'm here to give you bad news. You cannot do it. There's no safety. There's no island to swim to. There's no shallow end where you're going to be able to stand up on your own. It's not there. You will be destroyed. Your pompous pride will take you down. But It doesn't have to be that way. The promise that we have been given is that if you, even today, will believe in the words that God has given us in his word, if you'll trust in his son, Jesus, that what Jesus has done is he has come. He's lived that perfect life that you couldn't. And he died in your place on the cross. But then he rose again to conquer it. If you, by faith, will believe in that, the Bible tells us this God will forgive you of your sin. That God will look at you now and say, You are completely justified by the blood of Jesus, and you are now adopted into my family. That's what the Bible says happens. When by faith you believe and trust in Jesus. There's no catch. There's there's no coming up here and having to do something and then bam, it comes to you. No. By faith believe. And I believe then what the Bible says is God will begin to work in your heart and to mold you and make you into the image of his son. You will not become perfect. You will not walk out of here kicking all the things that maybe you're addicted to or that you struggle with. Guess what? When you walk out the doors, still going to struggle with them. But it will not be held against you anymore because Jesus will have died for it for you. You will be his forever. And that promise can be yours this morning because Jesus lives. So my prayer this week My prayer this morning and my prayer here in a moment when I have the opportunity to pray to close is that the Holy Spirit will take those of you this morning who haven't trusted in Christ and change your heart. Open your eyes to see the truth. To crush your pride. To show you you're not as good of a swimmer as you think you are. And will cause you to trust in them with your life. So that you can be a part of that banquet so that you can be a part of that dinner, so that in the end, in eternity, you will have your tears wiped away, and that you will know what true joy, true hope, and true peace really is, because it's not in the things of this world. It's only found in Jesus. It's only in Him can you be saved. It's only in Him can you have life eternal, as I said, with joy, hope, and peace. I hope you'll trust in Him this morning There's others of you today who are probably like me at times in my life. Where I believe all of that, I know I'm I'm a Christian. I've trusted in him fully. Yet I don't always live that way. Still at times I try to swim on my own. I try to let my pride be built up. I, I try to live my life off of what other people I think they want. Maybe what you need to do if you're like me again is do what I feel I have to do so often is just repent of that sin. Reaffirm to him, God, I do trust in you. Help me to live for you. Help me to fight the good fight of faith as Paul talks about. Help me to live in that strength and in that way. Because even if you haven't been in church in a long time, but you are his, you've been saved by his grace, guess what, you're still his. You're still his. He still loves you. He still cares for you. He still died for you. We need to try, try to live for him the best we can. Well, let's bow together this morning. Let's pray, as we always do at the end. We're going to have a song that we'll sing together. also gives you an opportunity to respond to the word of God this morning. But let's pray, seeking God's face. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you. God, I know in a moment we're going to sing the song, Because He Lives. And I hope that's true in our life. It is because Jesus lives. That we live the way we do. That we do the things that we do each and every day. It's because of of Christ and what he's done in our life. And because of the fact that that he lives. God, I, I thank you. That Jesus has done what no man could do. That he's conquered death, hell and the grave. He lived that perfect life and that now sits at your right hand, interceding for us, caring for us. And so God, I thank you for that. God, I pray that this morning there, I'm sure there are those who've never trusted in Christ. I pray that you would help them to see the truth, that they would trust in you, that you would draw them in with your love, help them to see how much you care for them. God, while it's good to be here this morning, it's good to see people's faces. It's good to worship together as it is each Sunday. God, we look forward to that day when we get to dine with you in paradise. We do look forward to that day to when there will be no more hurt, no more shame, no more suffering, no more feeling of guilt, no more feeling of being unsatisfied, but we will be completely satisfied in Christ each and every day. God, we, we yearn for that day. We, we so look forward to that day. And God, we thank you that we get to be a part of it. That not just a few special people, a few representatives can come and dine with you. But your word tells us that we will be resurrected and that we will dine and sup with you in glory. And so God, we pray that that day would come. As we're told to pray in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come. Your will be done. So, God, I pray that you would work in this place. Help us to respond to your word how we should. But, God, help us also to to now sing this song together before we leave. And help us to sing it as praise and worship to you. To the one who has given us peace through Christ. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that we get to celebrate a resurrection Sunday. We know there is no body in that tomb. For he is risen. He is with you. God, we praise you, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.